Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. It's time to take command with former NFL tight end Logan Paulson and former Commander's Beat reporter Craig Hoffman. Welcome into Take Command. I'm Craig Hoffman. That is Logan Paulson. He played 10 years in the NFL, including a bunch of Monday night games. I host a daily radio show, afternoons on the team, 983 to 6 p.m. Spent five years on the Commander's Beat. And in that time, Logan, I covered a couple of Monday night games in Philadelphia. They did not go as well as last night. Uh, a win for the Commanders, ending the Eagles' unbeaten streak to start the season. The 72 Dolphins can pop their champagne, and they can thank Taylor Heineke and company for it. Uh, look, nobody really predicted this. I think both of us did say, like, hey, there is a path here. There is a path where this could be competitive and, and ultimately the Commanders win. Obviously, uh, the final score winds up being inflated, uh, Goodbye to all your under bets. Uh, inflated by the uh, James or the Casey Tuhill touchdown at the end on the lateral play. Uh, but at the end of the day, Commanders win, and they were pretty commanding outside of the first couple of drives where the Eagles uh, forced a, a turnover and then then were able to score quickly. But uh, an all in all, great performance marred, I think, by some of the officiating conversation. Um, mm, I think nationally yep. that was interesting this morning. I, I turned on. Uh, get up and good morning football and, and and all those shows and a lot of talk about the officiating which certainly had a huge impact in Washington's favor however uh, the commanders took advantage uh, of key Eagles mistakes forced some key Eagles mistakes and I think they deserve a ton of credit for this win yeah I think they do deserve a ton of credit for this win and you mentioned how you know no one no one that I know predicted them to win this game but we all kind of understood there was a path. And if you were going to draw up a perfect way to execute a game plan to beat the Eagles, like this is essentially what it would be. I would have liked to see them be a little bit more efficient running the football, but essentially it's run the football, limit the exposure of the offensive line, limit the exposure of Taylor Heineke, get into third manageable situations. And credit to Heineke, credit to this receiving core. They did an excellent job in those situations, converting specifically in the first half. And everyone says, oh, you know, they ran 51 plays in the first half. That's because they're running the football. That is a total misleading kind of statistic. They they ran 51 plays because they converted on third down. They did an excellent job in that category, right? And uh, guys had to make plays. Like I think back to the first, it was the on the second second series, Third series, not counting the uh, or counting the um, the fumble, but you know Terry runs an out route. Heineke pushes the ball a little bit wide. Slay has a shot at it, but uh, you know um, Terry attacks with strong hands, brings the ball in, 
and you get your first down and then that that drives in, ends up leading to a field goal so i just think like those are the types in a game like this those are the types of plays that no one's going to talk about they're not going to be on sports center but those are the difference in bet- between winning and losing this game quite frankly and credit to scott credit to the offensive line um but really credit to taylor heineke and the skill position guys because they did an excellent job of executing this plan and and making and i think that's the thing we've talked about this before you know what's the difference between winning and losing sometimes it's just making plays on a third and eight catching a slant on a um third and eight you know you get uh curtis running over the middle taylor buys a little bit of time in the pocket sits in there makes a completion like those those plays are the difference and then you know you mentioned the officiating which i think is very astute and to me you know obviously the face mask penalty is big um the penalty at the end of the game is big but i think the other thing is the offensive pass interference that they called on washington uh where they completed that ball to curtis samuel is gigantic like that could have iced the game right there and to my eye i don't see anything on that play that should have been called a penalty. Like you're allowed to run that kind of pick play inside of one yard. They're at the line of scrimmage. It looks it, like it was Jahan. like three yards down the field, but it's still Jahan never like Jahan yeah, is running like, his route. Like he never he never intentionally makes like Jahan did a good acting job. It's obviously designed pick play. Yeah. Um, but it's you know I, I it was interesting hearing. I think it's John Perry is the their officiating rules analyst for ESPN. Yeah. And he's like, well, you know, you have to try to make an attempt to get out of the way. You can't just run into a guy. And I feel like that's not how that is typically enforced. Like, if you obviously, like, set a pick, then it gets called. As long as you don't obviously set a pick, it's typically not called. So, yeah, no, you're 100% right on that. I, I, I feel like that was questionable at best. But obviously, the it's not nearly as egregious as the face masks, which would have saved a turnover. Save By the, the way, how often... How often this year have the commanders had what looked to be key turnovers overturned by a penalty? Correct yeah. calls in most cases. Yeah. Um, but that's they finally get one of those in their favor. And then I, I think the the call at the end of the game is correct, but incredibly soft. And I hate that it's called in that situation. Yeah. But that is that is what it is. Like Brandon Graham, you know, Taylor gave himself up and he took three extra steps. Yeah, I mean, I had a conversation with my brother, and, I, and he was like, you know, this he's a he's a big uh, Jalen Hurts fan. He's a big Alabama fan, big Jalen Hurts fan. He was like, man, that's you know, that's ridiculous. That's so soft. And I'm like, by the letter of the rule, that's, that's a penalty, you know, and he had plenty of time to stop and not do that. The player had given himself up. And I understand there's a lot of purists, like, you know, if if that had been, if when I was a rookie that there's no way on earth that would have been called, right. That just would have been, yep. Okay. Next play. We're going to punt it. And, uh, but now like that's acting job by Taylor too, by the way, I mean, just flop like you, like your life depends on it. But that's the environment of the NFL right now, you know, right. and like I've seen softer things get called right against bigger name quarterbacks. So I know that's probably frustrating for Philadelphia. I know that's probably frustrating for fans of a different game because, quite frankly, football is much different now. But ultimately, like that's the letter of the law and that's what they chose to call. And and I don't think in terms of egregious penalties, like uh, I've seen way worse things get totally. called. You know what I mean? Like way, way worse, way softer way more mild things get called so you know as much as it's frustrating like i that's part of the deal you know and like washington like you said has had a lot of things not go their way this year and so they get two calls that kind of fall for them and i think um again that's uh that's an interesting interesting thing yeah and these types of things tend to even out over the course of a season. And and I think at the end of the day, like what you're looking at is a team that was able to take advantage of those things. And yeah. that's where they deserve the credit on their end is they, I mean, it's not like they played great because 
I mean, if if Quez Watkins doesn't fumble there, like, what are we talking about this morning? Taylor backbreaking interception. Eagles get the ball back. Jalen Hurts goes and, and immediately picks up a big play. Um, you know, and and who knows if they score there, and then then the Commanders get the ball back. And what does Taylor do? Like, maybe he comes back and leads a game winning drive. Maybe he throws another back breaking pick. Maybe they just go nowhere because all of a sudden they have to throw the ball, and they threw for barely over two hundred yards again. Like, we don't know what that conversation is like. Because Benjamin St. Juice went out and made a play. And, and I think that's where you have to just give this defense especially a ton of credit is, yes, they weren't asked actually to do a lot because the offense really held up their end of the bargain. Four drives. Four drives of 12-plus plays. That's incredible. Yeah. Um, especially against a really good defense. Um, but when you when they had to do what they needed to do, John Ridgeway, you know, while Jamin Davis, yes, is tugging on uh, – on Dallas Goddard's face mask, but Ridgeway punches that ball out. By the way, does that on one of his eight snaps of the game. I know, he, I, for only playing eight snaps, it was very impactful in the game. Had yeah, a nice think, tackle, I, too. Yeah, I think we'll get into some of the, the strategy decisions as we get kind of deeper into our breakdown. But, you know, Benjamin St. Just making a play uh, on that that fumble. Um, Derek Forrest, heck of a play. I mean, how we talked about it at, at nauseum this year because I, I keep bringing it up, but, like, how how teams have not been scared to go deep on them because yeah. they're just like yeah Bobby McCain's not going to get back there and make the play Derek Forrest not going to get back there and make the play and Forrest turns runs I mean that's a hell of a play yeah um, for because I mean I, I think Aikman did a good job on the broadcast explaining it like I you know he said I see what Jalen sees I see a receiver that's got that's even with the safety that's got him beat and Forrest just turns his head but the thing is he doesn't just turn his head and run to a spot he turns his head and keeps his eye on the ball. And how often do we see safeties just go, oh, no, and they wind up commit, you know, crashing into the receiver and committing P.I.? Forrest was tracking that ball the whole way. What's wild is A.J. Brown catches it, and Forrest kind of rips it away. It's, it's yeah. a bizarre interception at the, at the point of contact um, or at the catch point. But to, to have that level of composure in that moment to go, I'm beat technically, which is why this ball gets thrown, but no, I'm not. I can get back and make that play like – those those are the that's the difference in winning and losing football games is making those kinds of plays and and the commanders made them and the eagles uh made a couple of, of really nice ones but but the commanders ultimately get more against the team that have been the best turnover margin team in the nfl this season yeah and i think that was uh that play you're talking about with Forrest is really interesting because i think you know they're trying to get him to take the the dig on the backside like they're trying to get him to break on that and you know to your point like we've seen safeties take that take that invite, you know, numerous times this year for a big play, right? And so for him to kind of be patient, and you can see Jalen Hurts is like staring down the dig, and Forrest is like, I don't know about that, and just stays in his back pedal, which is nice. And then when he does transition to uh, A.J. Brown, it's really cool to see that, like, he's at least in phase to make a play. Obviously, if that ball was a little bit better, you know, A.J. Brown making a play there, whatever it is, but at least he is in a position with through good eye discipline and good footwork to, to make an opportunity to, to make a play on that ball. And I think, you know, you, you bring up something that I think is really interesting is that they did make plays. And if you look at Philadelphia's offensive production, it was really what we were expecting from them. They were very, very clean for most of the game in terms of like, they, like they'd go on, you know, I think they had a couple uh, or maybe one or two, uh, 10 plus played kind of drives, you know, after the three and out to start the half, they were able to move the ball a little bit, possess the football, be very, very efficient. And if you look and if you take away that, that 
you know, the, like you said, the, the deep ball to um, AJ Brown and then, uh, or not, not AJ Brown, the, um, the Watkins and the Watkins fumble, like the complexion of that game feels so different because when you watched like play down in and down out every third down, this team was not getting stops and the stops they got were off of turnovers. And so like, I'm not trying to trivialize that, but in terms of high variance, situations like we weren't expecting this team to get three turnovers philly wasn't expecting to have three turnovers right and that's to me one of the hugest differences defensively for this team is like they just were able to kind of cultivate these opportunities cultivate these stops because quite frankly they weren't doing an excellent job i forget what it is but philly was they had a decent third down percentage they were moving the football they were possessing they were five of eight on third down yeah and so that's what it felt like when you're watching you're like oh my gosh you know like they're the, the, like the inertia of Philly's offense. Like, you know, I watched a ton of them last week in preparation and they'd have these moments where it's just like, you couldn't stop them. And that that's kind of how it would feel. And then all of a sudden something crazy would happen and crazy for Philadelphia is turn the football over. Cause it's something they haven't done at all this year. So really, you know, like I don't, it'd be, I'd be so curious, you know, alternate history, like what happens if they don't get those turnovers, can they kind of bog them down in the red zone and force, force them to kick field goals, force them to punt because it, when you watch the film yesterday, it didn't feel like that outside of the turnover. So th- that's why those things are so significant. And they're significant every week, but especially significant in this game. Well, that, I actually wanted to ask that, and then we can dive into the film of the offense, dive into the film of the defense and, and what they did and, and how they were able to create those key plays. But I actually tweeted this last night that I think this film is going to be fascinating, or maybe it was this morning, fascinated to watch, fascinating to watch, because if you take away the kind of feel of the game that you get from watching it on television or from being there, you take away the scoreboard, which uh, if for folks that don't know, like when you right. watch uh, film, depending on how it's cut up, like, you know, you do get like a down and distance in the scoreboard shot before every play if you want it. But depending on what you're, you know, it, on NFL Game Pass now, you don't, which is wild that's weird yeah it's it's, you're just out there in the wild wild west trying to find (laughs) stuff um but if you were to just watch play after play after play without context i don't feel like it would have felt like the commanders won the game you'd be like man they ran a ton of plays but i don't i don't know they got anywhere and then you you look up and it's 32 21 at the end you know in part because that last play um you get the the bonus six uh from from two hill but still like 26 21 fine like it, it didn't feel like that. And which is why, like, honest to God, Logan, watching the game the whole time, I'm like, oh, the Eagles are going to come back and win. Like, the Eagles are yeah. fine. And, yeah. then, and then all of a sudden, they didn't. Yeah. And, you know, the the face mask play, I think, is the one where I, I went, oh, no, the, I think the commanders actually have this. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the, from, I will say, early on, it definitely felt like the commanders were in control, but they hadn't pulled away score-wise. Um, and right. Sly, by the way, huge credit to him. Monster day from, from Holy the cow, great job. Um, 55 and 58 amongst his four field goals. Um, but the commanders, you know, early were like 9 of 12 on third down, but they finished 12 of 21, yeah. which is like not terrible, but not amazing. It's and better than it's were, been. Yeah, Eagles were 5 of 8 on third down, which, you know, the commanders have been fantastic on third down, mostly defensively this year. But 5 of 8, obviously not a great day in that department. Um, and the Eagles have some big plays in their, you know, limited number. So it just, I just feel like, you know, if and, and you'll have to tell me because you did this, like when you watch the tape of this one, it probably doesn't feel like the commanders win, but that shows you to underscore kind of what we've been saying the last 15 minutes, how important certain plays are in key situations and why those things win and lose football games in the NFL. 
Yeah. So, you know, for the, um, for the command center show, I have to pull clips, right? So what I do usually is I go through and I look at series and I go down, I say, Oh, here's a three play sequence. How do they get to three and out? And in the course of the game, there's only three of those, right? There's only three opportunities for the defense where they cultivated their own three and out. One was in the two minute situation right before half where they dropped two passes. So that's Philly screwing that up. One was at the end of the game where they actually were able to cultivate a pressure and get a sack, right? That's awesome. And I can't remember the other one, but they weren't there. They were few and far between. And so I, I bring that up because to your point, when you're watching the film, it feels like an inevitability. It feels like they've just got this, this tremendous efficiency and inertia. They're completing the ball. Jalen Hurts looks settled. He looks comfortable and confident. And there aren't that many plays. So take away the three, take away the three turnovers, which j- just for the purposes of this argument, right? And it's, they are executing a very efficient offense, an offense that's way more efficient than what the commanders are executing on the other side. But then you sprinkle in those three plays, and you're like, this is why the score is what it is. And kudos to kudos to the commander's offense, right? You know, we knew going into this game they would need to possess the football. We didn't think it was going to be to this level, but we knew they were going to need to possess the football. And this, this steals, this stole a possession, probably two possessions from Philly in the first half, which they would have scored on, right? They come out, they get a three and out right coming out of halftime, which is great, the defense. They are able to score again. And then that's when Philly kind of said, all right, let's see if we can get this thing back in control. And you could feel it. And I think the thing that was frustrating to me is you knew that the commanders offensively were riding a high wave of variance, right? They were being super efficient on third down, which is something that they couldn't sustain. And then you come into the fourth corner and it looks like they can't do anything, right? They can't, you know, they're they're going constantly three and out. Their their longest drive of that quarter is sustained by a penalty, right? Uh, A personal foul on Curtis Samuel, which is a little bit borderline in my opinion, like, you know, they said helmet to helmet, but it's kind of like he's. Oh, right. Yeah, that was yeah, that was he's a not, terrible call. He's, he's in not, bounds. And yeah. Like, you know, it, it's kind of shoulder to shoulder, kind of helmet to helmet. But it's not like a targeting helmet to helmet. He didn't launch. It's just like the, the helmets collided. Yeah, and he it's hits football. him. He hits him really hard and he falls really hard out of bounds. And so I think that's what it is. But it doesn't look like he's giving himself up. It doesn't look like he's declaring that I'm going out of bounds. You know, there's certain situations where the guy's like running and it's like, I'm going to go out of bounds. That's not what this felt like. So again, no, that that's his just... foot was in bounds when they made Correct. contact. So even if he is like, I'm running out of bounds, like yes, as a as a polite human being and minimizing injury risk, should you just let the guy run out of bounds? Sure, but it legally speaking, you have every right to hit a player that's in bounds with the ball. Well, and I think that's the thing with Curtis. It doesn't like so. There's there's, there's certain times where uh, I guess to my point, it looks like they're trying to get out yeah. of bounds, and so it's like, mm, yeah, it looks like he's. It looks like he's trying to stay in bounds, you know, until like the last possible second. So that that, that call was – I understand why they called it, but it's a, that was a little surprising to me. But I guess what I'm saying is like that's where the commander's offense regressed and Philly's offense started taking over. And again, like those turnovers are gigantic. We've talked about that at nauseum. But if you just watch Philly's offense play in and play out, you'd say that's the better offense, that's the better team, they probably should win this game. But again, that's where that turnover statistic comes in. And, and it was awesome to see, especially after the Forest play, that the commander's offense was able to capitalize on that and get some points. So, you know, kudos to them. And then I think it's also important to note that they get that Philly gets seven points off a short field, you know, off that turnover, um, off the sack yeah. fumble right away. So, you know, on the whole... Which, by the way, only happens because of one of two huge special teams plays, uh, roughing the kicker. And yeah. then you have the the play at the end of the game that costs the Eagles the two-minute warning. Like you talk about key plays. Well, when uh, I can't remember who it was for the commanders was about to block the punt, 
and the Eagles punter has to like pull that's it down, right. and scramble, that's right. That's and right. Then, and then kick it, which is an eligible man downfield because the timing's all goofed up. Like, and again, they, they screwed that up. So initially, I thought the punter bo- like bobbled the ball, but um, it looked like they had some type of switch call. So like, what happens is they'll take the PP sometimes versus a six man block box, and they'll have the PP block the wings guy so that the wing can free release and basically become like an extra gunner down the field. Um, obviously, they're the commanders were not in a six man box. They were in an eight man box. And so in an eight man box, that call is off. And obviously that communication, at least to my eye, was not echoed to the wing. He just lets Kalik run to the punter. Good job by the punter, not taking a block there. Quite frankly, you yeah. prefer the penalty, but, um, but that's another them a two minute warning because they have to re-kick. And so I think that's the other thing is there's a lot of frustration I'm sure in Philly and like in the national media about the officials, but the reason the game is close is because Washington played a good game, right? Yes, the reason they're 100%. even these, these moments are even in a conversation is because Washington played well. So I, I know it sounds like, you know, we're, we're, we're disparaging Washington or we're disparaging the commanders. Like they did what they needed to do, but I, I think it's important to just show like how, like this is not a sustainable way to f- win football games because they're writing yes. this, writing this incredibly high level of turnover variance and third down variance. Like they're not going to be that good on third down for the rest of the season, probably. I mean, they might be, but it's very unlikely. And then the the, the turnover thing, like they haven't had three turnovers since I've been covering the team feels like. So, you know, for the last two and a half, three years. So right. those are the things that, that give you the win. And again, Philadelphia, I think is the better team. And you watch them down to down, you said they are better. They even played the run pretty well. Like if you look at the run averages for the team, it's about three yards of carry, which is not super efficient. So they did a good job in that department. And the reason you get that high run volume and the high run yardage is just you were great on third down. And I can't overstate how important that is. Like when you watch the film, that's something that jumps out to you is there's all these muddy kind of mouthpiece, bloody eye, bloody nose type runs that are for two and a half, three yards. And then they do it two times in a row. They're in third and four, third and five, third and six, third and two. And in past games, they have not converted in those situations. And here, all of a sudden, they're converting at a high level. Taylor deserves a ton of credit. Receivers deserve a ton of credit. The pass protection was great for most of the game. So, like, yeah, I want to say it's variance, but they executed in those situations, and they made plays in those situations. So I think that's something, again, that really sticks out to you is just how they were able to capture that variance, execute at a high level. And then on defense, like, they weren't stopping Philly, but the turnovers were the things that they, instead of getting three and outs – it was the turnovers. And I think obviously those are the two huge variables in this game. Definitely. They did have one huge three and out late in the game. Um, yeah. Which the last drive of the game. A, a ton of credit for. Um, in fact, well, I guess the, there was a fumble on the the three play uh, drive before that, but yeah, that, that, uh, that play where they was a minus eight yards on the drive um, with three twenty one to go is when that drive started. And that play, that's the drive that ends in, in the goofy punt situation. Um, all right, let's dive in a little bit to the tape itself. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. 
Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Take Man Podcast from Odyssey Sports. I'm Greg Hoffman. That is Logan Paulson. All right, uh, offensively, they yeah. had a very distinct game plan, and they executed it so well. Now, yeah. that's crazy because they averaged like three yards a carry. Um, yeah. But what that left them with was a ton of third and four and shorter. And they yeah. were able to convert a high number of those, especially early in the game. And it was pretty clear that that was their plan. And I give Scott Turner a ton of credit for sticking with it. Because it would have been real easy to go. And, and I've seen it. Like, you know, Jay, Jay frankly, used to be <laughs> real bad about this. Come into the game, be like, we got to run the football. They'd be averaging three yards a carry. And he'd be like, what are we supposed to do? We're averaging three yards a carry. It's like, keep doing it. Because the whole plan was to keep the other offense off the field and because your team is not as talented as their team. And sometimes that's how you got to play. And, you know, I'm sure Chris Russell, as we speak, is, is on his radio show, you know, just hooting and hollering about how running the football is the way to do everything uh, and for everyone at forever. Uh, but that, like, it shows the merit of that strategy. Um, when you are a team that is challenged in, in certain ways, like the commanders are with Heineke at the helm, um, they took a lot off his plate. They stuck to what they knew was going to be their best plan, and they just kept doing it. And it and ultimately, it worked. I mean, well, I wish we could look this up. We don't have access to that that metric anymore. But based on my notes, I think they only converted like two third downs or three third downs running the football. Um, so I think, like again, like we said well, this, they, at they the technically t- had twelve rushing first downs. Rushing. Oh, I'm saying on third down is what I meant. So gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, 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 yeah. So 12 rushing first downs on third down. So, so what? I, what I mean? Why I bring that up is because I've said this before, and I'm going to sound like a broken record, but this is really important to understand. Is they have a? This is the same game plan they had against Minnesota. The same game plan they had against Indy. The same game plan they had against Green Bay. The thing that 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 makes this play this plan successful is you holding on to the football. So if you look at Green Bay, if you look at Tennessee, if you look at um, the Giants, for example, teams that have to run the ball first, they average four and a half yards a carry when they execute their game plan successfully. They don't average three because that is not enough to kind of get you where you want to go from a consistent conversion standpoint. So when I look at this, right, the reason they were successful is because their conversion rate in the first half was out of this world, right? That allows you to get back to running the football. It allows you to manage it, right? So to me, it's, you know, the first third and two of the game is that completion to Terry off of like the soft play action where he's like running the crossing route to a three-level throw to the right. That ends up being like your 17, 18-yard chunk play. That's excellent, right? That's good process. But now you can get back to running the football. You can get back to doing that stuff. That's the other thing. Next play, almost next play, um, Trey Turner misses a block, misses a kickout block. He had a good game, but he misses a kickout block here. It's second and eleven. What gets you back on schedule is the completion of Jahan Dotson for the first down. Then it lets you run the ball twice in the uh, in the low red for a touchdown, right? So those plays, to me, are the ones that are the more they, – they are the reason you are effective offensively. They're the reason you ran 51 plays in the first half, right? And if you look at the offense in the second half as a nice juxtaposition, they weren't able to do that. They weren't able to convert on third down. Their, their play efficiency goes way down, right? And that's when Philadelphia starts to cook, right? So 
this game plan of, of possessing the football, everyone says, oh, it's built around a good running game. This running game was fine. You know, like they, they had some nice runs, some things that looked well, but it was muddy. They were muddy runs, man. You watch it on film. It's like, you know, it's the backs get hit in the backfield. Somebody's pushing him in the back and he falls forward for two and a half, three yards. Like that's what this was. It's the excellent execution on third down, right? Go to the next series. It's third and two. They motion empty. Philly gets a little bit weird on how they're going to cover um, Gibson and Terry to the same side. It leads a little bit away. Terry gets the out route for a first down. That leads to a field goal, that drive, right? There's a third and eight on that drive. Terry gets a slant. You're in third and eight, right? That means you ran the ball for basically no gain two times in a row, right? And so I just look yeah. at that down in and down out, and I'm just like, the reason they won this football game is not because they ran the ball well. They didn't. I mean, they ran the ball, I'd say, I give it like a C or C minus, right? Yeah. The reason they were able to be effective offensively is because there's countless third downs, right? The next series, right? They get a one, they get a conversion running the football, which is only one I've on, on my notes that I have, right? Then they get to a third and six. That's where Terry hits. That's where uh, um, Tyler Taylor hits the big completion to Curtis Samuel, right? There's a third and five. They get a completion to Terry on a chair concept for a big gain, right? Um, chair concept being two unders by the outside receivers and a corner by the um, by the inside guy who was Terry in this case. And they got a third and 10. They hit a slant to Terry. That gets you to the fourth and one. You convert that. Those are the plays right there. It's not It's not the, the two-yard gain on first down. It's getting to those situations where you can still continue to possess the football and make those conversions. And kudos to Scott. Kudos to Taylor. Kudos to the receivers. Kudos to the offensive line. Because in those high-leverage situations, they were able to execute. So in defense of a one-yard gain. You know what a one-yard gain is? Not a five-yard loss. Not a five-yard loss. And, and that is where kind of the magic of this game plan, I think, comes to shine. Is like, you know how you go on 12, 14-play drives? Yeah, you have to convert on third downs and do every single thing that you just said. But it's basically impossible if you're in second and 20, right? It's it, is, it is impossible. If it, but if you look at, if you look at the Indy game, look at the Green Bay game, look at – the Minnesota game, like they were on a similar trajectory, Minnesota specifically, similar trajectory running the football. They didn't have a lot of negative runs in that game, but they couldn't convert on third down. Like they couldn't execute in those situations. Right. They, they, their run pass split was not as heavy against Minnesota as it was today, was it? Like I don't know. Because well, they they're also they weren't as but, good on. So this I would say it's a, it's it's a it's an interesting that's a very interesting point. They're able to run more runs because they're able to. Pl- play more plays right they're able to possess the football longer so against minnesota they weren't as effective on third down their run volume is going to come way back because they're not running as many plays so that to me that's the catalyst for the whole thing right and yes yes they were they didn't take a lot of negative plays i think the other thing that you have to acknowledge emphatically is there weren't a lot of penalties i think there was one offensive penalty in the first half which was the delay a game on the fourth and one or the fourth yeah fourth and one to curtis where it gets called by the way that play is my favorite play every Thanksgiving in, in the Turkey Bowl. Direct snap to, to a motion man. Why don't more teams run that? Give your guy a head start. I don't know if it was on purpose that they actually did. If it was, though, <laughs> like that really extra sucks because one, you have a fourth and one that you probably would have got not only converted, like Curtis might have taken that one to the house. Yeah. Um, two, yeah. now you've shown that as a possibility for absolutely no gain because there's the play was dead. So there's your best short yardage plays. But I will say, I will credit Scott a ton because he kept using that motion yeah. later in the game and in some of their key situations and where they got conversion. So I think on a, on a later fourth down, they used that same motion. 
where somewhere in the back of the defense's mind is, oh, crap, Samuel might actually take the snap and start running. And that, that extra step that they might stay outside has an impact. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, you're right. They, they did come back to it on the next fourth and one, and uh, they Philly was ready for it. They were, like, stacked outside, and on that play specifically, like, great job, Curtis. Great, great, great job, Curtis, understanding the situation, not taking a loss, sticking your face on somebody and falling forward for a yard. Like, that yeah. was, like, a powerful, nice run and good situational awareness. And, again, those are the types of plays that are huge because that could have easily been a disaster. How many times have you seen a receiver say, oh, I'm trying to go to the house on this fourth and one, they bubble right. back, and the defense rallies and tackles him for a loss. Great yeah, job by him. Incredible play. Fig- figuring out and being aware of what's going on. So, yeah, but yeah. So I, I, th- I think that, that to me is I, I'm, I'm going to do a show. I'm doing a call in with Chris Russell later, and I'm ready for this run first, run second, run third approach. But that's really not what made them successful today. I, I would argue. I think yes, you're, you you bring up an excellent point. No negative plays, no negative runs for the for, for the most part. They had a couple, but nothing too dramatic. They were able to overcome kind of you know, middling run production and, and make some plays. And I think that's yeah. ultimately what it comes down to. His final stats uh, on terms of play selection, uh, 49 runs. Uh, now, I don't know. I'd have to go back and, and say, like, how often did Heineke scramble on called passes, et cetera. But ultimately, 49 rushes to 29 pass attempts. Again, the Minnesota game, it was more even, 30 to 28, 30 rushes to 28 uh, pass attempts. But that's also... You know, Brian Robinson, 13 carries in that game. He's got 26 today. And by the way, I know it's it's some chicken, some egg, but my canary in the coal mine, yeah. are they still undefeated when Curtis Samuel has at least four carries? I think it, they are. It does add a nice element to the offense. I like that he got an outside zone in the game. I like that he got that little kind of shovel pass where he got the personal foul. That would have been a nice game. They're not like huge plays necessarily, but they do open – Open you up a little bit. That's and that's my thing. It's like one, he's the best. I think he's the best runner on the team. So you do get a couple more big ones. Although they, that wasn't the case tonight. Uh, I guess the biggest one is that shovel pass, which technically is a pass. But like it's a it's a way to get him touches. Yeah. And he's a really special player who needs to get touches. And when you don't get him touches, like the offense is not going to get the first downs to get the other guys touches or to get him more touches. Like it, it's pretty simple. And by the way, on the hey, get your good guys the ball strategy when they threw it. Taylor, like for me, this is Taylor's number one argument for staying the starting quarterback, which is a conversation we should have, by the way. Uh, He throws 29 times, 17 completions. 11 of those times were to Terry McLaurin. Eight of the completions were to McLaurin, who had eight for 128 in his long of 41 on the day. And they came in key situations because that's basically the only time they threw it because he's the best bleeping player on the team. Uh, all due respect to John Allen, who's a very close second, um, or maybe maybe Terry's second. Terry's the best. Terry's the best bleeping player on the offense. It sounds less fun. That's that's not as good of a promo to to caveat it. But he's definitely the best player on the offense, and getting him the ball is going to help you win football games. And he played a huge, huge role in everything that you were talking about. All those third down conversions. Like I'd have to go back and look, but how many of his catches were for first downs? A ton, a ton. Yeah. He's the guy that kept the chains moving. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I mean, I think, you know, and I, I think there is a an argument or a, a world like where you kind of it's not even a world. It's 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 valid process. Like where you look at Tennessee, for example, and they'll have a game where Derrick Henry has a stat line very similar to Brian Robinson. You know, he's averaging, you know, three and a half yards a carry and it's a cloud of dust every time. And it's a, 
you know, nosebleed every time he touches the football. But what that does do is it does give you some space. And when you look at some of these third down conversions, some of the play action passes, like the the first third down conversion of the game, let me check my notes. Don't quote me on that. The one where he kind of catches the over route. Um, that's a really soft play action, but they, you know, all the linebackers are really close to the line of scrimmage. And that's obviously dictated by situation. Scott Turner's in a tight split formation. So that's tend to tend to kind of dictate run there mentally, but there's a huge window there. And so obviously Taylor does a great job getting the ball to him, but the space and the throwing windows are much different than what we saw or what Taylor saw against Minnesota. And that is predicated on the fact that, you know, everyone in the stadium thinks you're going to run the football and you've shown that you're going to do that. Right. I mean, what would you say it was 40, how many runs did they have? 49, a lot of 29, 49 runs, which is a lot of runs in a game. And so obviously like, that's what you're thinking about leaning towards. And I think, um, you know, like that does open stuff in the play and in, in the, not only in the play action pass game, but also just in the, in the passing game generally. Right. Um, so I think that that is um, something that needs to be talked about in terms of value added. It's not just three yards in a cloud of dust and then you got to pass the ball on third down. I think there's also some merit to the idea that it opens up some stuff up. I think I like that Scott, you know, he ran a couple of play action passes. One to Logan Thomas early was was dropped or knocked down or however you want to categorize that. But then obviously there was another one to Logan Thomas where he makes a play. Uh, there's a play action pass to Cam Sims, which probably should be completed. Epps makes a really nice play on the ball. But I like that element of the offense. I like using that as a tool to slow defenses down. Obviously, it doesn't carry the same vertical element that it did when Carson Wentz is playing quarterback. Um, but I do think it elevates the play caller. And I think when you look at what Miami's doing right now in terms of elevating Tua, obviously, that's like elevating your play caller on steroids because they have the fastest wide receiver success skill position group in the NFL. Um, they have two running backs who run four three. They've got receivers that run four two. They've got a tight end who runs a four five. You know, I mean, they're just fast as heck. But they're elevating him through the use of play action pass and through the use of like RPO, like making easy decisions for him. And so, this is maybe Scott's Turner, Scott Turner's version of that for Taylor. And you'd like them maybe to kind of add some, some more flavor to it because again, like I'm. I'm not the smartest guy in the world, but this is not a sustainable plan, in my opinion, moving forward. Like some team's going to come in. Like if Jordan Davis is healthy this game, this game plan I don't think flies the same way, right? I think it's going to be messier. It's going to be thicker. He's going to just be taking up space, and there's there's not going to be nowhere you for, for you to go with the football. Um, they need to have something else to it, something else, some wrinkle. But I like that they were thinking play-action pass, and I like that they got Curtis some more touches. So – two things that I want to hit on the offense. It's just going to be a long offensive segment, and then we will give the defense their flowers. Um, but there was a play-action fake that they went back to a couple of times, and this is like very specific, but uh, it is something that I feel like I haven't seen as much of. But they ran the play-action fake where it's kind of like a counteraction where Taylor shows the ball one way and then brings it back to the other side, and the ball is exposed forever. Yeah. in a way that the defense kind of has to react to because it's like, oh, this is a run fake. Yeah. And considering how ineffective they've been on play action this year, that action got them clean pockets and big plays, I think including the 41-yarder to McLaren, multiple times. And I just was like, hallelujah. They finally yeah. found a play action, something that works for them. And of course, they run that actual run a couple times too. So when we talked about the marrying of run and pass one they finally married some of their run and some of their pass but also i think more importantly it's just a fake that like it's really hard to mess up as a quarterback from a ball handling standpoint and it's going to get a reaction from the defense by the nature of how long the ball is in that 
like we're we're running it kind of position yeah. uh out there exposed and I, like i don't know why it took them to week 10 to figure that one out but like they've got to continue to to run that a couple times a game and again it doesn't have to be every time they run play action some play action is quick some play action is is longer developing um it obviously i think also comes a lot of times that particular action and in some of the ways they ran it with some max protect which has its positives and negatives as well in terms of how many receivers are out in the pattern but that was something that had a big impact in this game in some key situations again these key situations are the difference in winning and losing and like it's a lot of merits to some of the stuff that we've been kind of griping about on the play action game where they just haven't gotten any kind of reaction from defenses uh, for any number of reasons. And to see them get that, I think is, you know, I'm not looking out here to validate the podcast, but like it's validating and more importantly, it helped them win the football game. Yeah. And I think that's, I'm really glad you brought that play action pass up because actually that's a version of duo, you know, obviously people who covered uh, Bill Callahan know what duo is. That's like his favorite run of all time. They're just yeah. getting it, getting it to getting to it in a way that I think is pretty cool. And what and so one of the things about like when you run like a duo pass protection, right? So for for people that don't know, duo is just like this basic. It's like halfback dive on Madden. Is it's the, halfback is the easiest dive. Easiest way to just describe it. It's a man blocking scheme. Um, there's there's double teams up front. Um, and it's just let's go straight ahead and and you know whichever hole pops open. You know, or it's typically what targeted off the the gap between. Or the so yeah, if, if I was gonna if I was gonna install duo, if I was gonna install duo, I'd say it's the back is taking the a gap towards the side of the tight end. So, so the quarterback's gonna open strong. The back's gonna run strong. And basically what duo is, it's an opportunity to get a whole bunch of double teams, right? So for those of you high school football coaches out there, it's power with no puller. So on power, you pull the backside guard and he kind of kicks out the Sam or he like leads up on the Sam linebacker. With duo, you're accounting for the double teams to do that, right? So duo can be a really messy run because it's literally just everyone just steps forward on the defense and they fit the run correctly. But if you've got guys who are really good at it and you get a back on the edge, you can backs who can read it effectively can run it really nicely. And you need to have a physical kind of mindset to it. So they've added a little bit of a wrinkle. So what they do is basically they bring, I think we all saw it yesterday, but Armani kind of in a short motion from his receiver spot. And then they have him kick out the end man line of scrimmage, which is one of the harder blocks on duo. Like, cause usually you have two tight ends over there to the right and they're trying to double that guy. And so what teams have started doing is they just line that guy up outside the double team and just run into the tight end's outside shoulder and cave it all down. So now you've basically put an edge to that and said, oh, this is where it starts. And then you have the other tight end who's kind of wrapping or kicking, and he's going to block the Sam. So on duo, my rule is I have the end and Sam to the mic, depending on line movement, right? So now they've basically said, well, we're going to just have those guys do it, but just do it from different spots. And to, to your point, which you astutely um, pointed out already, is – that that gives you a more visual play action stimulus as opposed to a duo play action where you're just basically stepping to a double team. You have to be really violent on that. And it does help protection, but it doesn't uh, pull the linebackers up the same way. It doesn't pull the safeties the other way. When you get that cross shift action, when you get uh, Logan Thomas leading up, everyone says, Oh cow. Like there's lots of movement in the backfield. I got to <laughs> fit this really fast. And then it helps the O line out because they're all in a double team. They're all in a double team except for Charles Leno, who's by himself. And that's okay because he's your best offensive lineman. So right. you live with that, right? But in terms of helping Norwell, helping Trey Turner, that's what you get out of that. And that's excellent. So in terms of shoring up protection, you get a definitive downhill look from the linebackers. And it does create space. And I like that they have kind of found this identity. Their best runs against um, their best runs against uh, my, uh, Minnesota were duo, 
but they just mistargeted it. They were much more effective targeting that run today, and they were very physical with it, and they got a lot of miles out of it. Um, but it was messy because I think everyone knows that's kind of who they want to be now is a duo downhill running type team. And uh, but I, I agree. I think it gives them a better, a much better play action look, uh, much better play action protection. It helps the tight ends in protection. And again, one of the things we talked about after the Dallas game was how soft the play action pass looks. Here, when the tight end's running full speed across the formation, there's no the the, the defensive player says, "Oh shoot, I gotta fit this." So he's actually running into that guy as opposed to trying to avoid him, which is what you normally get on a duo type of protection so it's a really it's a really nice uh wrinkle i think and hopefully it's something they can build around moving forward all right last thing for the offense who should be the quarterback moving forward oh my gosh craig um well is, is carson going to come back this week or what's going on we don't know let's let's assume that he is for the sake of this conversation uh we're recording this early on tuesday uh so we have not heard from ron rivera on that front yet right. uh, as far as i know unless he said something post game last night that i missed but um you know carson what let when Carson comes back, if Taylor were to maintain this level of play, like what are you doing at quarterback? And if you want to involve Howell in this discussion, I think it's probably you know the other thing about this this win is like they're five hundred and a half game out of the final playoff spot. So I think yeah. like the Howell discussion gets kicked down the road, uh, and it and it should. Yeah, it should. Um, so I think I mean if I'm Taylor Heineke and I'm making an argument for myself, I just say, hey, what is he? He's four and four and one as a starter. Is that right? Uh, three and one. Three and one. Three and one. Three and one. And that's pretty hard to argue with. And I think, um, you know, he's right. He's, he's coming in at a good spot, right? They've kind of figured out who they want to be offensively to a certain extent. I think the defense has been playing like significantly better than they were early in the year. Like, I think if this defense is playing against Detroit, that's a totally different ball game. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I think if I'm, if I'm Ron, I want to know with a thousand percent certainty that Carson is not the guy. And I don't know if I know that right now because of the way we were running the offense early in the season and because of how the defense was playing. But it's really it's going to be really hard to to take Heineke out of that position, um, especially given the perceived support I think he has by the locker room. And so that's why this is such a difficult decision. And if I had a gun to my head season on the line, I'd probably just stick with Taylor. But I understand it if Ron decided to go back to Carson uh, because I think he needs to figure out what he's got there. And I think he Carson does bring some some value. Um, just depends on what like what the level of that value is um, in Ron's opinion. Yeah, I think you have to stick with Taylor for right now. I don't think that it is definitive that you have to stick with him for the rest of the season. Right. Um, but I do think that it's it's pretty obvious that the momentum right now says you should stick with it. And I think, you know, if I'm wrong, I'm probably going to be a little bit coy and say, you know, we're on a we're on a six six day week, short week. Carson hasn't really thrown yet. And rather than rush him back, we if he's going to come back and be our starter, we want to give him every opportunity to be successful. And it doesn't feel like put thrusting him back in on a short week is that week. And I'd almost buy myself another week. Yeah. Um, and if Taylor goes out and beats Houston, then at that point he's four and one. And, and it, you know, it's even more definitive than it is right now. Um, but if Taylor goes out and throws for another, I mean, it's not like he had an amazing game, right? Like he, he threw for 200 and what was it? 211 yards, no touchdowns and an interception. Like it wasn't, it's not like he's out here being a world beater, but there's clearly an, an it factor, a something you know that he brings. And I think especially when your game plan is this 
offensive efficiency, you know, northern, you know, guy, northern light guiding star type of game plan. That's where Carson was brutal earlier in the year. Yeah. So the way you're playing right now is is even if statistically not uh, not impressive, it is more geared towards what Heineke does well. Um, but that that's how I would play it if I was Ron. I would start Taylor this week, feel pretty good about it, know in the back of my head he's probably my starter moving forward, um, but reserve the right to go back to Carson if if Taylor is real bad. And I would, you know, in order to kind of keep the the media narrative at bay, I'd probably be a little bit coy and say, well, you know, all Carson's really done so far is throw lightly. You know, we don't want to send him out there on a short yeah. week. And, and that I would I would just run it that way. And that's something that we touched on a little bit when we are reviewing the game. But I think uh, Heineke, in, as a starter, in all of the starts that he's won, has done a good job avoiding negative plays. And that's something that was that really characterized Carson's early time with the team in terms of taking sacks, you know, um, not a lot of interceptions, but obviously like taking these huge negatives. And I just think back to yesterday when the ball snapped over Taylor's head for him to pick that ball up. Oh my God, what a play. What a play, right? What a play. Just keeps you out of disaster, right? And that's something where Carson picks that ball up and I think he just gets tackled right there and it's a 30-yard loss. Or he probably just dives on it, which by the way, might be the Fine. right play. Fine. Um, but, but, like, but, but, but what Taylor's, I'm saying is... Taylor's that, willingness to pick that ball up and throw it out of bounds, like... That saves you 20 yards. Yeah. And I think like that's the type of stuff he does. Like the ball that is completed to Curtis over the middle, which we've talked about a couple of times, like Larson gets beat pretty clean. There's someone right in yeah. his face. And I think that's probably a sack, right? So if I'm looking at the offensive line situation, I'm looking at the skill position players and like what he's done to elevate that group. I say to myself, you know, like maybe he's giving us our best shot to execute the game plan we want to execute, mm -hmm. to execute this version of like, you know, we're going to get, we're going to bloody our noses. We're going to play this down and dirty. We're going to, the defense is going to keep us in it, which they've done. Kudos. I mean, like, think about that, man. Like, we're talking a lot about the offense. Like, this defense yeah, we'll is get just to defense in a second for sure. Done a great job, but if, and he and if if Taylor can eliminate not eliminate because he's always going to throw a pick. It seems like every game yeah. he plays, he's going to throw a pick. But if you can eliminate the huge negatives and let them kind of stay on schedule offensively, you know, like maybe that's your answer. I think maybe I answered the question for myself right there. Yeah, to me, and I'll, I'll talk about this more on the radio show today and, and obviously throughout the week, To or last night proved both that Taylor should be the starting quarterback for the rest of the season, likely, or at least the next couple of games, mm -hmm. but is not the guy for the future. Right. Like, like he's he didn't play well enough that you're like, you want to know what? We need to consider this guy as our starter in 2023. But given your options right now, he definitively shows that he can execute this kind of game plan uh, and, and make the the subtle plays that can help you win a football game with this kind of strategy, this kind of game plan. Uh, and to your point about the sacks, again, the first Philly game was the nine sack game. Uh, Taylor takes just three. One of them is that brutal sack fumble in the beginning where Leno uh, gets beat by by sweat way out wide. Um, and Taylor kind of doesn't doesn't have a great feel for it. Um, Although I, I think that's obviously more on Leno than it that's is a on tough, Taylor. Tough yeah, that's, that's, but that's yeah. a tough deal. That's a tough gig. But um, I do think that that obviously he, he sh should get the start this week against Houston, and I don't think there's any doubt about that. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, it's Greg Hoffman from Take Command. It's not just a podcast. It's the 25th hour of your day, your weekly source for all things commanders, right on time, your time. A list of household chores. Do them without missing a beat and listen while you work. In the car, turn mundane drives into memorable moments. With podcasts, you can maximize productivity and minimize FOMO. We're on demand, so we fit perfectly into your schedule. Follow Take Command in the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Take Command podcast from Odyssey Sports. I'm Craig Hoffman. That is Logan Paulson. Uh, we will be back with our Texans preview on Friday, so make sure you're subscribed wherever you get your pods. Uh, but, Logan, let's let's finish out this week's show with a little bit of a talk about the defense, who did not play great, but did enough and made some big plays, almost the inverse of what they've been yeah. in the last couple of weeks where they've played really, really well, but haven't necessarily forced a bunch of turnovers. I mean, it just, they showed you they got another way in the bag to win and turnovers, you get a little bit lucky, right? I mean, I think all those turnovers outside of the, I mean, you know, obviously they got lucky with the Jamin Davis uh, face mask, not getting yep. called. Uh, I think Forrest's interception is just a good football play. I think Benjamin St. Juice, that's a little bit of a lucky play. Good hustle by St. Juice to get back in it, but 100% lucky. And th- that's what turnovers are. There's a little bit of luck associated with it. So I think, you know, can you count on that every week? No, but I think that's good because they've shown that they can win other ways, right? And against maybe the best offense in, in football right now, or one of the most consistent offenses in football, like I'll take it, you know? And so they found a way to win. They've been uh, a unit that you can kind of hang your hat on them and the special team, especially inside an outstanding day yesterday as well. And I think if I'm Ron, I look at this, I look at the landscape of this team and I say, that's the group that is set. We feel good about the personnel there. You got Forrest kind of developing McCain at Nichols, but a nice addition there. Um, you know, Curl playing post safety in this game. And, and, you know, there's, there's a couple snaps in the game on third and long where they have four safeties on the field, Percy Butler, Bobby McCain, Cam Curl, and Forrest are all in the field together. Right. And so yeah, that the, gets- the three safeties, McCain, Curl and Forrest, all played 100% of the snaps. Yeah. So whether it was McCain at nickel or, or playing the Buffalo nickel with Curl down and McCain back, like they did some of everything, which by the way, you know, we talk about offensive versatility. Sorry to cut you off, by the way. No. But, um, you know, talk about the offensive versatility of like, hey, can they go no running backs in the game and then have Curtis Samuel be a runner and like some of the things they can do. Same thing on defense. Like because they have this versatility with McCain, Curl, uh, McCain and Curl specifically, they can throw different looks at an offense and have answers for a personnel grouping that other teams in the league won't have answers for. Yeah. And and the way you know a certain personnel group offensively uh, may get deployed. I mean, I think that's a really cool, you know, like kind of alternative to dime, right? Where you've got yeah. some guys who are pretty physical, long limbed, can run and cover. Like that's a really unique group. So good for them. And then. You know, we mentioned that Ridgeway only has six snaps, but that piece, I think he only has six snaps because eight snaps, yeah, eight snaps because 
you know, they only ran 50 something offensive snaps. So like there wasn't a lot of time for fatigue in terms of that first group, but like even additions like that, this, that that's really fleshed out the defense. And obviously you see his playmaking ability, uh, you know, with the fumble, then he had a tackle. So making his impact felt in a very short window, especially after a tough week against Minnesota, Allen Payne. I mean, they're, they're just like monsters, like they, they're the heart and soul of that defense. And they really just make everything around them better. They make everything around them in the passing game because they can rush the passer. In the run game, you see John whooping people, getting holding calls. Like it's, it's a special. It. I hope fans appreciate what they're seeing because I've never seen in my, you know, my time playing football in college, uh, NFL, covering the NFL, two guys inside who are that effective, and then to have Montez Sweat on the edge, who's going toe to toe with maybe the best, one of the best left tackles in the NFL and Jordan Mailata, like that is a special group. And then your auxiliary guys, man, like this defense is, is playing really well. Obviously, um, you know, there's some things they can clean up. They had the coverage bust on the, 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 the plate that they end up getting the fumble recovery on, on Benjamin St. Juice. I think he gets a little yeah. bit too nosy on that, but I think overall, man, like this is, this is something you feel really good about. And um, it's just about whether the offense can find, I don't want to say find an identity, but maybe sustain this identity and find, you know, like th- this running the f- running the football first identity that, you know, the Giants are using Tennessee, Cleveland, all these different teams around the NFL are adopting this now to kind of cover up, you know, poor quarterback play. They have something that they own in that department. And what is it that Washington owns there? And I think if they can figure it out, that's going to just elevate the defense. And then you are in a very similar conversation to what New York's doing right now, maybe an under-talented team, but a team that's winning because they found a formula for success that lets them lean on the defense, lets them lean on the special teams, and not make too many mistakes offensively. Yeah, and then they lean on their playmakers. You know, Saquon right. had 35 carries the other day for them. You know, for Washington, it's yep. McLaren. Um, you know, in getting Samuel more involved in the run game and, and Gibson and Robinson and all those guys. Um, but it takes that mental load off the quarterback. And I, I love the point you made too, by the way, about – how Ridgeway, not only did they not play a ton of Cinco in this game, which is why he doesn't get a ton of snaps, but because the offense was able to sustain, you keep your best lineman on the field. Allen and Payne are out there for the majority of the snaps, and that is enormous to be able to have success. Just have your best players on the field. It's not an original thought. Um, It's why injuries (laughs) crush team seasons. Um, But just within a game to not have to do as much rotation because guys are fresh, like that is a massive, massive deal. And you see the effectiveness yesterday uh that's a great place to end the identity piece we will continue to talk about that for sure uh including on friday's show monday wednesday friday our typical schedule on a regular game week obviously just two pods this week because of monday night football but we look forward to catching up more on friday's show make sure you're subscribed so that you get it first thing on friday morning whether it's apple podcast spotify or wherever else you're listening right now i'll see y'all on the radio three to six each and every day on the team 980 logan occasionally pops in there as well and he's got to run because he's going to go on uh russell and medhurst now so make sure you're always streaming us live on the free odyssey app on the team 980 and 1067 the fan for logan i'm craig we'll see you friday morning right here on taking minutes